As we come to hear the teaching of the Bible, we uh, have our little sermon outline, talk outline. If you'd like to take that out and take a pen as well, you can fill in the various blanks as they appear on the screen as well. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to hear your word taught, we pray that you would help us to listen to what you have to say to us. Help us to understand more of who you are and who we are. And we pray that we would have a passion to share the gospel with everybody. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a free country. Nobody can make me do anything. If I don't like my job, I can quit. If I don't like my house, I can move. If I don't like my gender, I can change. It's a free country. Or so we say. But even in a free country, we are compelled to do many things. And so if I approach a red light, I'm compelled to stop. Or if I'm told about a child safety matter, I'm compelled to report it. And if I'm asked to show my passport at the airport, I'm compelled to present it. So we might live in a free country, but there's all sorts of things that we're compelled to do. I wonder if you'd ever say that you were compelled to tell people about Jesus, whether you were compelled to preach the gospel. Well, in the bit of the Bible that we're looking at today, the Apostle Paul says this in chapter 9, verse 16. He says, Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. So we read there that Paul is compelled to preach the good news. Paul is compelled to preach the good news. He's a, a mandatory preacher a compulsive evangelist. He's got no choice but to tell people about Jesus. But what about you? Is that something that you could also say, that you are compelled to preach? Well, if you're an everyday Christian, you probably wouldn't say that you were compelled to preach. And I reckon even if you're an official church minister, you may not also say that you're compelled to preach. So why would the Apostle Paul say this? Why would he say that he's compelled to preach? Well, if you've been with us over the last six months, you'd have known that we've been working our way through Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, which he wrote a few decades after Jesus died and rose again. And Paul started that church in Corinth as he shared the gospel with them. That was the thing that kicked it off. And we know quite a bit about the church in Corinth, and one of the things we know about is that it was really worldly. The church in Corinth was really worldly. There were all sorts of clashes between the way that Christians should live and the way that the world says to live. And so Paul wrote this letter to help the Christians stay true to Jesus' teachings uh, instead of blindly following the world's ways. And we're up to talk 18 now. It's been quite a journey. We're only just over halfway. <laughs> and in this talk, we're going to hear why it is that Paul thinks he has no choice but to preach. 
And we'll hear how his, his compulsion to preach actually shapes the way that he preaches and shapes his message. Now, in a room this size, chances are that somebody, at least one of you, doesn't personally know Jesus. Maybe you've been coming along to church for a while and, and you're still not yet committed to following Jesus. Or, or maybe you, you used to sort of follow Jesus and you've come back to church and you're trying now to work out how to truly follow him. Well, as I speak tonight about Paul's passion for preaching Christ, there's a message in it for you, even if you haven't yet come to the point of following Jesus. And that is, I want you to try and work out why you think it matters so much to so many people. Why would it matter so much to so many of us in this room? Because if it is that important and you don't believe it, then you really need to seriously think about following Jesus. But for the rest of us who do already follow Jesus, uh, we've got to listen to what the Apostle Paul said to those first century Christians in Corinth. And as we do so, we will hear God speak to us today. But as we come to this, I want to tell you, it's not 100% straightforward. And that is because none of us here have been in exactly the same situation as the Apostle Paul. See, for him, Jesus met him face to face. Jesus met Paul face to face. And it was right at the time when Paul was about to go and wreck the early church. He was off to arrest and to harm Christians. And so Jesus intervened. And with this blinding light, Jesus converted Paul and he commissioned Paul. And from that point onwards, everything changed for him. For Paul, I reckon this is one of his classic hobby horses. He just keeps talking about it over and over again. It was the moment that shaped his life and it keeps popping up all over the place. And here it is again. It's going to pop up as we look at this bit of the Bible again right now. But his situation's weird, right? I mean, none of us have been literally blinded by the light as we've been heading off to Damascus to try and persecute the church. You know, it's not a common experience that I hear people talk about. And so does that mean that it's like a nice story for him but doesn't really apply to us at all? Well, I don't think so. I, I think it is a nice story and I think it does apply to us today as Christians in 2023. God has given us the Bible for us today so we can know him and ourselves. And even though we are not Paul and we are not apostles, we can still hear God speak and we can still understand what it means to to understand the gospel in such a way that we want to tell people the gospel. It's kind of cool how God does this, but we've been preaching through this whole series for quite some time, and it happens to be that tonight we have landed on the very bit that really revs us up to think about sharing the gospel of Jesus. And it's just as we start two weeks of mission, as we try and help everybody in the Village Valley and region know how to follow Jesus and why it matters. These verses here come with wonderful timing. Today we've got a bunch of great Moore College students and some lecturers, and they are with us all this week. Great to have you guys with us, it really is. Uh, together we are wanting to share the good news of Jesus as much as we possibly can. And I think this is going to rev us up and actually help train us all up, everyone in this room, as we think about how to follow Jesus and why it matters. And I'm praying we'll get more motivated, more equipped, as we're ready for this life-changing mission. 
Well, chapter 9, verse 15 starts like this. It says, Yet I have never used any of these rights, and I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. You know when you've kind of walked in on the middle of a conversation, you think, what were they talking about? Well, it's a bit like that, isn't it? But we have been listening to this conversation, but you had to listen to it last week. So let's rewind one verse and see what it said. Verse 14 said, In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Now, the whole big thing about last week's passage in the Bible was that Paul said that he has the right to receive financial support from them. And that's because all gospel preachers have the right to receive financial support. And that's who he is. But he said, I've got the right, but I'm giving up the right. And I'm doing it for a particular reason. We actually don't know what that particular reason is, but we can have a pretty decent guess. And it seems quite likely that he wanted to make sure that nobody felt that they could buy his message, that they could sponsor what he's saying so he'd say it so it was good for them and not for somebody else. And that really mattered because one thing we definitely know about the church in Corinth was it was very divided. Factions over here, factions over there, different people following different people. And so in order to make sure that he could preach Christ with clarity and power, he gave up his rights. He gave up his rights so that he could preach Christ. And today we're going to hear just why it is that preaching this gospel matters so much to Paul that he'd do it for free. And so with all of that context, having rewound just a little bit, we're now going to launch again to that starting verse. It said, verse 15, Yet I have never used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. See, Paul wants to boast about preaching without charge because he wants them to know the real motivation that he's not taking their money. And it turns out that if he can boast about the financial sacrifice, he can't boast about any personal sacrifice. And so, verse 16, he says, Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about because I'm compelled by God to do it. Why is he compelled by God to do it? Why is he compelled to preach the good news? Well, it's what I talked about before. I think it's this Damascus Road experience when he was blinded by the light and converted and commissioned. And because of that special calling, he says this. He says, how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. You know how in question time I said it's good to have different versions of the Bible in front of you? This is one of those. Uh, it Actually, as we look at this, another version says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me. It's actually the kind of thing that you'd expect to hear a prophet from the Old Testament say. And, no surprise, that's exactly what we see in Isaiah 6. As, as I was preparing things, I was reading one of those commentaries so, by Kemper and Rosner, and they basically said that this wording reminds us of what the prophet said in the Old Testament. And in particular, Isaiah 6. Have a look at this. It says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah has suddenly come into the presence of God, almost kind of like a blinding by the light experience, you know, that kind of big bigness to it. And right there he realises that coming into the presence of God is very significant, and he then is 
pushed out by God to preach a message of judgment. It's a little bit similar to what happened with the Apostle Paul. He came into the presence of God and he was pushed out to preach something as well. But his message was the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Christ. And for him, he knows that it will be a woe, a terrible thing, if he doesn't preach it. But what was his message? Well, his message was salvation, not judgment. But the message that he's going to preach is one that some will hate and others will love. It feels like years ago when we looked at the start of 1 Corinthians, but this was in the first chapter. It said, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. That's the job of the prophet, or in this case, the apostle. They'll lead some to perish because they've rejected God, and they'll lead others to be saved. So if you love the message of the cross of Christ, then you'll be saved by God. But if you think that the message of the cross is foolishness, then you'll be punished by God. That's the simple choice that faces everybody. And it's a big choice that we are reminded about every Easter. And that's what we're coming up to again now. It's the message that Paul preached as he did the work of a prophet, as an apostle. And he knew that he had to tell people to come to Jesus. And why? It's because Jesus gave him an offer that he couldn't refuse. Verse 17. He says, if I were doing this on my own initiative... I would deserve payment, but I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. Uh, if, if Paul had have said, oh, well, I want to apply to become a preacher, and he got the job, then you'd say, well, he deserves to be paid. But for him, it was probably a little bit more like a, a conscription. You know, when you have to join the army and you don't want to, but you just have to. He had no choice. He was entrusted with a special message. And with the special job of spreading it. And so he does what he's told. And because preaching Christ is his greatest passion, he gets the joy of just doing his job. Because for for Paul, preaching Christ is his greatest passion. Preaching Christ is Paul's greatest passion. And he probably does a better job of it because he doesn't get paid, ironically. Now have a look at verse 18. He says, what then's my pay? It's the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. He's got the right to get paid for it, but he's given it up. Why? Because he wants to make sure it gets preached properly. He doesn't want people, it seems, to to think that his message has been influenced by the rich people. He might want to buy his ministry. Because for him, he's happy to give up money, he's happy to give up anything so that people will meet Jesus, so that he'll be able to tell people about Jesus. That was him. But what about you? How important is it to you that people know how to follow Jesus? How important is it to you that people get told how to become a follower of Christ? I remember back when I was a kid in youth group, 
We all the time were invited to bring along friends to youth group. Bring along a friend, bring along a friend. Who are you bringing this week? And, and, and that was just part of our culture. And then when I finished being at school and went on to do other things, it was still the thing. Tell people about Jesus. Invite them along to church. Do that. So that, it wasn't just something for the keen beans. It's just what you did when you were a follower of Jesus. And what's more, we were all encouraged to know how it is that we could lead someone to Christ. How it is that if someone says, so how do I become a Christian? You say, oh, I've got an answer for that. And one of the first books that I bought as a Christian was John Chapman's Know and Tell the Gospel. It was a great book. Basically, as the cover says, it would help you know the gospel and help you tell the gospel. It was a great book. It basically told us what Christians were supposed to do. We're supposed to know and tell the gospel. And, you know, there was nothing more exciting than when someone said, yeah, I'll come along to youth group. Oh, or I'll come along to church. Or, yeah, I'm happy to chat. It's like, oh, I expected you to say no. Why? But it was hard sometimes. Sometimes it was really, really easy. But whether it was hard or not, it was still something that we would pluck up the courage to tell people about. Because you can see why it can be hard. You don't want to be that awkward person and even more awkward when they don't want to know anything about Jesus and you brought it up and made things awkward. Well, feeling awkward's not that bad. Going to hell is far worse. And so we want to help people know Jesus so that they might be saved. But with all that pressure, something came about 20 years ago that I think started to relieve a bit of that pressure. There was a bit of a trend around the place that, that people started saying that only evangelists needed to do evangelism. And given that most people are not evangelists, it's like, ah, okay, well, I don't have to be that guy anymore. I don't have to be thinking so much about evangelism. And so instead of being encouraged to preach the gospel, Christians in general were, were started to be encouraged to promote the gospel. And, and what that meant was that, that you can promote the gospel by praying and, and giving money and doing good works and going to church and having Christian conversations. All of those are good things. But it was almost like that if you weren't an evangelist and you didn't have the special gift of evangelism and you didn't have the calling of evangelism, then you didn't really have to worry about talking about Jesus in that same sort of way, leading someone to Christ, telling them to become a Christian. But the problem is, even if we knew exactly what the New Testament meant by an evangelist, it, it, it's, it shouldn't stop us encouraging each other to talk to people about Jesus. I mean, you don't need to be a salesperson to tell a mate to try the coffee at your, your favourite cafe. And you don't need to be an advertising executive to encourage a friend to watch your, the favourite movie that you've just seen. And you don't need to be a doctor to give someone basic first aid. Although a day's training wouldn't be a bad idea. Which means that even if you're not sure if you're an evangelist or not, then doesn't mean you, you have to stop talking to people about Jesus or explaining the gospel to people. You don't feel that you can't tell someone how to follow Jesus and why it matters just because you don't have a title or a calling. Because the thing is that when you know the gospel, you'll want to tell the gospel. When you've experienced the forgiveness of sins, when you've experienced the certainty of eternity, you just want to let everyone know. 
I love it when someone becomes a Christian and, and then they suddenly are like, so, so what happened this week? Oh, I told all the people at work, guess what, I just became a Christian. And I tell the people I sit next to on the bus and I tell the people I go running with and I tell the people, all the, I just tell them I've become a Christian. It's like, oh, doesn't this guy know that you're supposed to be embarrassed about it? Why is that? It just should be a natural thing. That person's less qualified than any other Christian who's been a Christian for a long, long time. He just wants to say, I became a Christian. Why aren't you one? Cool. And friends, I want to say that there's no better week to invite someone to church than this week. This is a great week to invite someone along to church. They've got the Colin concert, the men's breakfast, the ladies' high tea, and, the, and two different preachers preaching evangelistically on Sunday, in the morning and in the evening. And then we've got Easter. But what do we say? And how do we say it? How do we get the message of Jesus across to a world that feels a universe away from the language and culture and values of first century Rome? Well, funnily enough, we're not the first people to try and work this out. In fact, in the first century, they were trying to work it out too. And it turns out that the Apostle Paul was kind of a leader in that thought. Uh, he said that he is, has this passion to proclaim the gospel. Now he's going to talk about his strategy. He says in verse 19, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. He's so passionate about bringing many people to Christ, he is prepared to become a slave. Paul is prepared to come, become a slave. I've said this over the last few weeks, but, but slavery was a really big thing in the Roman Empire. In Corinth, it was likely that, that only a third of the people in Corinth were not slaves and had never been one before. In fact, it's likely that a third currently were slaves, a third had been released from slavery, and then there's the third who never were. Slavery was a big thing. And if you were not a slave, you were pretty special. And the last thing you'd want to do is say, hey, I've decided to become a slave. It's like, have you decided to be crazy? Why would you do a slave? Why would you become a slave? You've got everything that, becomes, that comes from being free. Free. Why would you become a slave? Paul was prepared to become a slave. He was prepared to give up his freedoms. And not just to be a, a slave to a nice slave master, he was prepared to be a slave to all people, he said. That is how passionate he was to bring all people to Christ. I mean, he's had that blinded by the light kind of experience. But it's not just that he's fulfilling a role. He's following his heart. His heart of evangelism. He's so passionate about bringing people to Christ that he's ready to give up his freedom to do it. And that is a huge thing. And so as we look at this guy and his passion for evangelism, I think the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what will you give up to win many to Christ? What will you give up? Paul was ready to give up his dearly held freedoms so he'd become a slave. But what about you? Are you prepared to give up having work or school as that safe place where no one really knows that you're a Christian? Are you prepared to 
give that up so that people know that you're that Jesus person. That'd be costly. You ready to do it? Are you prepared to give up some of your savings to support gospel workers? Are you prepared to give up your career to become a gospel worker? Why wouldn't you? You don't need a blinding light to make you want to win the world for Christ. What will you give up? But for Paul, it wasn't just about having a passion for evangelism. He also had a plan. And that plan involved him contextualising the gospel, which is just a nerdy way of basically saying that he said the gospel in a way that made sense to the particular people that he was speaking to. He, um, another way to put it, he changed the form, the packaging, but not the substance. And we see this in verse 20 and onwards. He says in verse 20, When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When he was around cultural Jewish people, he walked and talked and lived like them. Why would he do that? So that he'd bring those Jews to Christ. And then 20b, he says, When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, those under the law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. So when he was around people who were under the law, basically people who still lived like the Old Testament was all there was, that, that Jesus hadn't come and it didn't really matter anyway, Paul would put himself under that law. So he would have done a whole lot of things that they kind of did so that he wouldn't stick out. He, he contextualised things. He, he would have probably eaten the food, only the food that they were allowed to eat and, and, and kept the special cleanliness laws and and all the, the, the strict religious festivals and stuff like that. Why would he do that? Because he knows that it doesn't matter anymore. He did it so that he'd win people to Christ. And in verse 21a, when I'm with the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who don't follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. So the non-Jews, he lived like a non-Jew, which is like most of the people in Corinth. So he would eat and dress and speak like a person who was not a Jew. Now, this guy was ready to give up his identity to win people to Christ. Paul gave up his identity to win people to Christ. It's like, who are you, Paul? I reckon he probably would have said, I've stopped knowing, really. Am I a Jew? Am I not a Jew? Am I a what? I, I don't know. I'm just a person who tells people about Jesus. He was prepared to give up what once really mattered to him so that people would know about Jesus. How far will you go to do that? What would you give up? Would you change your food or your wardrobe or your hobbies or even the team that you follow? Would you do whatever it takes to win others to Christ? Well, I actually hope the answer is no. I hope that you wouldn't do whatever it takes to win others to Christ. 
Because if you're actually prepared to do whatever it takes to win others to Christ, it would mean that you would be prepared to change the gospel. And if you're prepared to change the gospel, you've missed the point. And we see that in verse 21b. He says, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. He's not free from God's law, but instead he is under Christ's law. And, and with this, we see a very important principle in all of this. Paul would not change the heart of the gospel. He'll change the packaging, but not the content. He'll change the form, but not the substance. And this is really, really important to get right. Because we can be tempted to water down the gospel. We can be tempted to be quiet about the bits that are controversial. You know, I, I want to tell my friends about Jesus, but I don't want to say any of the things that they might not really like, that, that, that Christians have a reputation for being a bit weird about. You know, I don't want to talk about those sorts of things. Uh, maybe I'll just sort of say things like, you know, uh, well, Jesus, he was just on about showing us how to love people. That's what he came for, full stop. And I might be quiet about the, the sin stuff and the hell stuff and all that and the rising from the dead stuff. I, I might be quiet on those sorts of things because I don't want to be the weird guy, right? But if you're prepared to change those things, you've got it wrong. Paul was ready to change all sorts of stuff when it came to preaching the gospel, but he wouldn't change what is at its heart. And if you've been listening to the earlier bits of this whole 1 Corinthians book, you'll know very clearly he is totally keen to keep the basics clear and, and to not change anything that's at the heart of the gospel. So you've got to be clear about this. You mustn't mess this thing up. But that also means that we need to be prepared to change the things that that can change and sometimes do church a bit differently and, and do life a bit differently. And that can be costly as well. Are we prepared to do that? Well, finally, the Apostle Paul, he adds another category of people. In verse 22, he says that when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. This is what a gospel heart looks like. It's doing whatever it takes to save people. And in another way that um, this verse has been translated that's sort of kind of familiar to me, the Bible verse that I grew up knowing, it says, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. This is what a gospel heart looks like. It's doing whatever it takes to save people. And it's also this, the final verse. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Paul says that he will do everything for the sake of the gospel. That's all that matters. He's prepared to do everything. We know that he's compelled to preach. We know he's obliged to evangelise, but it's not something he does reluctantly. He does it because his heart is in it. He does everything for the sake of the gospel. Is that something that you can also say? Are you prepared to do everything for the sake of the gospel? 
Well, if not everything, what about something? Or maybe just something more than you normally would? Just a little step outside your comfort zone? What's one thing that you could do this week to spread the good news? One thing that you can do this week for the sake of the gospel? Well, I've got something for you. Invite someone to church this week. This is the week to do it. If you've been waiting for an opportunity, waiting for an excuse, this is the week. Get them along to the Colin concert or breakfast or high tea on Saturday or church on Sunday morning or evening or Good Friday or Easter Sunday. Invite them along. And there's so many other things you might do, but this is the week to invite at least one person to one thing at church. It's a small step, but a big step. And it's a moment when you can all work together for the sake of the gospel. And as I wrap things up now, it's worth me speaking again to you if you're not 100% sure if you're a follower of Jesus yet. You've been happy to hear tonight that it's a big thing. It's something that matters a lot to us and we want it to matter to you as well. There's nothing more that we want than for you to follow Jesus. There's nothing more we want than for you to be saved from hell. There's nothing more we want than for you to have eternal life. And so if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, surely this is the week to make that jump. Surely this is the week to come to follow Jesus. Because there is one gospel on which we stand for all eternity. What a gospel. What a peace. Our highest joy and our deepest needs. Now and forever, he is our light. We stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you stand with us?